You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hello, everyone. It's Robin here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. I have another beautiful episode for you. You know how we always say that it takes a village to raise a child? My guest today is in my village. She is somebody who my family trusts, who my husband and I trust to help us navigate the challenges of our child who is neurodiverse. And she is amazing. And I am so excited to have her here to talk to my audience because she is a gift to our family and to all of the families she works with. So Michelle, Welcome. I'm just going to read your bio so everybody knows how amazing and talented you are. So let me just get to this. So this is Michelle Schulbach. She's a board certified behavior analyst who comes with a background in social work before moving on to complete her master's in special education. She has spent the last 24 years supporting families with neurodiverse children by providing one-on-one skill building support for children, parent coaching, and support to school-based teams while providing community-based training. I don't know how she has the time. I got to be honest. She has experience working with children ranging from age one to the early 20s who present a variety of learning disabilities and goals. And her approach is driven by evidence-based research with an emphasis on attachment um, and parenting connection while always ensuring that the values of the child are heard and rooted in their experience, uh, their experience difficulties or understood, and to make sure that what they're experiencing is understood is what I want to say. Um, and she herself is raising her own little one, and she's here today spending time with us. Thank you, Michelle, for being here. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Robin. I'm really excited to be here today. Oh, great. All right. So we are talking about things like neurodiversity. We're talking about executive functioning. And so I want to start by saying, what the heck does that mean? I hear that all the time and I want to know, and I think my listeners want to know, what is that all about? Please tell us. Uh, I'd love to. I'm pretty passionate about it because it is this like secret kind of area that people don't know. It's this umbrella term that people are using. And so any opportunity I have to help families and educators understand what we're talking about is perfect. So I want you to think about executive function as sort of an umbrella term that really speaks to the mental processes. So the neurological ways we plan and we focus and we remember and we sustain um, attention to a task, how we regulate our emotions, just how we live every moment Mm. of our day from organizing our morning routines to packing our bags for school or work to how we dress to how focused we can be in a task in our day so we all experience executive function from very little all the way up into adulthood and then we all at some point peak 
And then later in life, we actually start to lose some of our executive function abilities in the later years, right? Uh So you think about Alzheimer's and things like that, we're losing some of that, those functioning areas. And they're often viewed as sort of eight main areas. Now, when you look up executive function, you may find there's more than that. They're usually just splits. So I want to think about like, I'll give you the eight that I always think about, but some can split off. So we might be talking about things like impulse control. So that's where the emotional regulation comes into play. So uh, a child's ability to regulate and control their impulses of happiness, um, anger, frustration, sadness. Um, So there's the impulsivity around that and their emotional control. But I want to separate them. So there's impulse control is I always talk about that kid in class who's speaking out of turn. And, and not waiting. Like, they're like, oh, I just, I have to say it now. So they can't yeah. control it. And then that bleeds into that emotional control, right? So I can't, I'm, I, the impulsivity blends into the emotional control because now we're talking about the actual emotions and regulating those feelings. And then that bleeds into flexibility in our thinking. So I'm starting with, oh, I can't, can't help myself. I just need to share. And then when I'm mad, I'm just like explosively mad. I just can't control it because I haven't quite developed those skills yet. And then it's, I'm not a flexible thinker. And so parents will say, well, what does that mean? That means that those are kids that are a bit more rigid in their thoughts. Mm. Things happen a certain way at a certain time. And and so when things happen differently, they again can have a hard time going. They're not go with the flow kind of kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so far yeah I identify with so th- that's one two and three right one is impulse control two is emotional regulation yeah. three is flexibility okay gotcha. got it so now we're going to dive into working memory oh. so working memory is exactly what it sounds like right so it's our ability to retain that information um, and so I you know when you and I chatted when I was introducing this one it was you know can you tell your child to go get their shoes their bag uh, their coat and the book and will they remember all four of those things or do they get their shoes and then they're like what was next so they mm. can't retain their working memory they're not retaining all the information that they're needing in order to complete a task right mm. um, so that's four and then we go into self-monitoring so mm. being uh, sort of aware of self and being able to monitor, you know, your, your own responsiveness and how you're engaging. And then that leads to the one that people most often think of when they think executive function, planning and prioritizing. Mm, so okay. and often that they're the kid in the classroom with the messy desk because they're just jamming everything in. Their binders are my desk, right? They're not, or you should see mine. <laughs> um, they're not planning they're having a harder time with time management. So they might be somebody who waits till the last second to get things done because they're not realizing each piece will take how long they're not able to prioritize. So they might get like really tunnel focused on one step and forget the rest. Mm. Um, And then we have two left task uh, initiation so just getting the job done, parents will say to me, I sent my, my child upstairs to do something and they never came back down. <laughs> so they're just, they have a hard time initiating the doing of something because they're really easily distracted because 
that whole part neurologically of that planning and organizing is not happening for them. Mm. And then the last one's organization, right? So just Mm. truly being organized with your school self and your home self. And so this is when you think about all eight of these, where do we start to see these stand out? School age kids. Yeah, definitely. So the needs are developing in early childhood but like impulse control, emotional regulation, but we really don't see the onset of these difficulties till kids are in school where it becomes really far more pronounced. Wow. Okay. So we're talking impulse control, emotional regulation, flexibility in their thinking, and then working memory, self-monitoring, planning and prioritizing, task initiation, and organizing. Whoa. And And you think that like, that's a lot for a child to be able to master and where do all of these live in your brain is this prefrontal cortex stuff it's all prefrontal. Um, it's kind of all up in here in that planning and organizing it's why yeah. when you're impacted you wind up back you know gordon newfeld's my 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 secret friend so i always love his hands right yeah. um that fight flight or freeze response winds up happening when you have um lagging abilities so not fully developed skills in these areas you wind up responding from a different um, part of your brain because that skill's not fully mastered so this is where we start to see kids who are dysregulated getting upset because we're asking I I often talk about the environment is asking of them to do something that they don't have a fully developed skill in yet so then when we can't do something we tend to engage in challenging behaviors to mask that inability, right? Right. Well, exactly. And so when I work with clients, I always say, listen, your child's behavior is not good or bad. It's either there is a need that isn't getting met. There is a feeling that's unvalidated or they don't have the skill to do what you're asking them to do yet. Right. So we know that that prefrontal cortex doesn't even come online until around the age of seven and doesn't fully finish developing and growing until mid to late twenties. Right. A little bit longer for boys, unfortunately. Right. So poor boys, I have two boys. So, but here's the thing is that this, if you don't fully have this and you're being asked over and over again to be doing the things that you don't have the skills to do, not only does it look like bad behavior, right? We, as parents, we will start labeling you as lazy, as maybe, you know, you're stupid. Like what's wrong with you? You know, like I can see this going to some really dark places in parenting. Like my kid can't do anything right, right? And that is where we need to really understand what behavior is all about. This is so crucial for us to understand because our kids don't come to us with a fully grown brain, right? And I can see so many parents misunderstanding these eight things as behavior, trying to manipulate me, just being lazy, like I just said, all of that stuff. So how do you know if your child has executive functioning issues, I don't know how else to say it, or they're just choosing choosing to be lazy. And I secretly know that our kids are never choosing to be lazy. No. Like they always want to please us. So I say that with a little bit of um, sarcasm, I guess. <laughs> but, and I love that. So here's the thing, like one of the tasks, if I listed all eight of them. And so I'm thinking about self-monitoring sometimes it's called metacognition. It's how we see ourselves in the bigger picture. And that's often where it starts, right? So when kids can't see the big picture, 
they don't realize that their impulsivity is affecting others, that their emotional dysregulation is affecting others. So when you say like, how do parents know? There's usually um, a sense almost of uh, a, a lack of awareness, right? Like they're not seeing the big picture to all of this. They're not realizing how this is impacting other parts of their lives or the lives of others. They aren't able to do all of those pieces. So what do families do? I always say the very first time I'll hear a family say, I just think my kid's lazy. (laughs) I then sit down and say, let's do an executive function checklist. (laughs) Right. Because more often than not, asking parents questions really helps them become aware that maybe there's some skills that are lagging, right? Not that are underdeveloped, that aren't fully there yet, that are leading to why. It looks like they're lazy because in many other respects or in aspects of a child's life, they're capable. They're playing baseball well. They're, you know, they can play a video game like a whiz. They've got friends. So it's really executive functions confusing to families yeah, because it, it's not clear, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's simply not. And when we start to see, that's why it's often teachers who say, Hey, your, your child's having a hard time at school. And we think it's ADHD or we think it's ADD. And it's not always, sometimes Mm -hmm. it is just some lagging skill areas. So one of the things I'll say, and here's my secret, I ask parents to reflect on themselves where are your organizational skills at? Where are your planning skills at? Because in many situations at all, we'll see a relationship between lagging skills in parents and lagging skills in children. Because children learn from being modeled. So they see people doing things and they start to emulate them themselves and model them themselves. So if the environment is not modeling for them those executive function skills, and they're not acquiring them on their own, it's far more likely that there's a challenge or a lagging area for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Can that happen also if parents do too much for their kids? Very much. So we overcompensate all the time. (laughs) I'm just asking for a friend. (laughs) I love it, right? Just asking for a friend. But you know why we do it? We do it because life is busy. And all of these areas speak to why you said earlier, this idea of laziness, right? For whatever reason, it just, it winds up looking like these kids are lazy because they're not performing. They're not completing tasks with the exception of like the impulsivity and the emotional pieces. A lot of this has to do with the doing and completing of things in life, right? It looks like they're lazy or they're disruptive and rude, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, and, I, and I can tell you as, as a parent with a child that has um, eight d- deficiencies, really, you know, like yeah. he really, 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 really struggles and he has OCD as well. You know, this is hard for my sweet boy. And yes, like, you know, when I said asking for a friend, yeah, like we have done more for him than maybe we, we, well, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to say should, because that's just not fair because we are only ever doing the best that we can. Right. And it's hard to navigate this without knowing, which is why, of course, we're so lucky to work with you because you really are a huge help. And I think that um, we all need the support of people like you. And so when I think of you talking about these kids, 
I think, oh man, I hope these parents are lucky enough to have a Michelle. I hope they are, yeah. but I don't know that they are. I think you are few and far between. So, you know, what is the, what is the fix and is there hope? Uh, yes, there is hope. So I'll answer last and go back. So yes, yeah. <laughs> these are skills. So just like, and just like learning to ride a bike and tie your shoe, these are skills that we can teach. There's a lot of really great tools we use to help in the teaching. Um, and you said it so beautifully when you introduced me, part of the teaching is buy-in of the kids. So the older the kids are, the more I stress the need for kids to be part of this process, buy-in, and really work from their values, what's important for them. Because mm. if they don't care about showering and putting deodorant on in the morning and they're forgetting all those steps that might not be where we start teaching. We might teach somewhere where it's important for them. So there's it's a lot of skill-based, I call it skill-based teaching. We have to break the skill down and we have to, we have to build the child up with skills. And so because we see this a lot with school-aged kids, because it's becoming more pronounced, it lends to why I'm so passionate about kids in schools. Because you can imagine if you're experiencing variations of lagging ability across all those eight or in some of them, how stressful is your school day, right? I say, you know, not necessarily to my son, but I say about school when I'm talking about my son, like it's an act of courage to go to school every day because you are signing up for, you know, feeling less than, struggling to focus. Like it's not fun for him. We know it's not fun for him. We know, we know, we know. And he still goes. And he still has to go, you know, um, and that's hard and that's hard. And, and we have also, you know, as a parent, you know, with a child, you know, like with executive functioning issues, there is not one teacher that hasn't pulled us in to talk to us about our child's behavior. There is not one year that I haven't felt like I am failing as a parent because my child struggles. Um, and, and so I am, I say that because I want whoever is listening to know that, it's hard on us too. It's hard not to want to just say, well, you just do it. Like what's wrong with you? Can you just get it done? You know? Um, so, oh, so that's really tough, but, but like you're saying, there is hope and it's work. It's work for all of us, right. To get to do that. And Absolutely. so, so your, the, the way that you teach this is by going to what they like and, and, and teaching, so walk me through how, how that all works. For sure. so, so, and I think it's important we kind of start at the top, which is where you as a parent are, are sort of saying your experience are coming from, which is a child's engaging in behavior, challenging behavior, problem behavior, whatever language folks want to use. Um, I try and just use it all. So I'm including yeah. everyone in it, but yeah. schools call parents to say your child's being disruptive. Your child's not handing in their assignments. Your child is it's your child is doing something I don't like or is not doing something I want them to do, right? And so we make the mistake sometimes of trying to just fix the problem, like look at the behavior. And so this is where then overcompensating happens, right? You're not handing in your assignments. Well, I'll walk you to the classroom with your assignment to make sure it gets handed in, right? right. But we're not getting to the root. So sometimes you see in, in on Instagram sites or the, the um, iceberg, right? Where oh, you yes. see on the top, this is what you see and what's underneath. So I want your listeners to think about, 
the underneath to the problem behavior in the classroom could for many students be related to executive function lagging skills. Mm. Something or many of those domains are not fully developed yet. So we have to get to the root of that. And we start by asking questions. We do questionnaires. Parents can go to a psychologist or others who are certified in it and get something called a brief. A brief is a standardized executive function assessment. I love them. I think when a psychologist does one, you get so much information out of it. Um, Or you can do like what we did, which was we just did, I selected one questionnaire I really like that hits on all those areas. So we can get the breath of where are those lagging areas of of difficulty. And then we prioritize. You can't fix everything. You know, you can't teach everything. I don't want to say fix. You can't teach everything at once. So we're going to pick an area that's most important. And then we're going to start with the best chance of buy-in. So this is where the older the kids are, the more important it is to have them be part of this process to say, these are the things we're seeing you're having a hard time with. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So we're going to say the yup. That's yeah. where we're going to start. And then we say, what's important to you about that? Well, I want to pass. Uh, uh, you're not handing in your assignment, so you're failing math. What's important to you about school? Well, I want to pass, but I don't care about my grade. I just want to pass. Okay. Then we're going to teach from there. We're going to start and build up those skills really systematically where that kiddo or that learner is valuing something it's I think the mistake we make is we try to teach but we're teaching often older kids who don't value that area we're trying to teach you can say that again (laughs) so I I I recently posted uh, a Benjamin Franklin quote which I love and it's about learning and the last part is involve me and I will learn like so it's like and, and, and I think that's what's critical in executive function with uh, school-aged children. We need to involve the children in order for that learning to stick. Otherwise, we're teaching and a kid may or may not remember. But when we involve them, yeah, uh, they, they will remember, like they will learn it. And so that's when we're thinking about executive function strategies. We want to make sure there's buy-in. So when a learner is having a hard time focusing, I had a, a kiddo recently share with me. Do you mind if I share this? Is like no, a, so do. this, this kiddo's in a school, in a classroom setting, having a hard time focusing on tasks, gets distracted, and then can't return to task, right? So task sustainment. So the teacher, thinking they were like doing the best for this kid, created a quiet space at the back of the room. And so when they see that student having a hard time, they're like, hey, why don't you go back there to learn, to do your work? And I asked this child who was sitting with me in a room, how do you feel about that strategy? She said, I hate it. Right. And so if you look at executive function and like, you know, how do you help a learner who's really distracted? You remove distraction. So I I get where this educator, where this teacher was coming from. And I said, why do you hate it? because it makes me look different and my mm. friends see me at the back of the room. So we didn't, we don't have buy-in and she doesn't value the strategy. So I said, well, what do you want? How do you think we can help you? And she was able to come up with a strategy. So I think this is why when, when we're saying things don't work, it's because we're not including the kids in the teaching. 
Oh my gosh. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I can totally see that. It's so true. Yeah. Like let's just bring them in. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question for you though, which that was so beautifully said. Thank you. What they don't get any help in this area and they continue on with life and their brains become fully grown. Does that mean that it's fixed and there's no issue anymore or are they always going to have trouble? Uh, okay. Well, do you use a day timer? Do I use a day timer? Yeah. <laughs> um, I used to use a day timer back in paper days. Yeah, I did. I did. I still use, I still have a paper one. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I, I'm, a, I am uh, attached to my calendar. I don't actually know what appointment I have after you because, uh, uh yeah, I live. You have to check. Do yeah. you use post-its? Do you make lists? Right? Yes, I do. So, so these are all executive function strategies. These are all tools we use to stay organized on task, focus. Some of the best, you know, strategists who really do work for adults around coaching for productivity will do things like make your list of your top six, work off your first one before you take a break, um, work for 20 minutes and then take a break. Even if you're not done, these are all executive function strategies. Mm. So these are tools, really. It's not about mastering. It's about developing tools. Some yeah. things we do develop. Like, I don't, I, don't need a ta- I don't need a list to remind myself to brush my teeth in the morning. Or right. some might, because it's not important to them. But I go, uh, having clean breath is something I value, and I know other right. people value. So I'm going to brush <laughs> my teeth in the morning, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think we all use these strategies in life. So they are definitely things that we might keep going with and some we might outgrow and some we might not. Lots of people, now that we have smartwatches and smart, you know, all this technology, yeah. reminders can be built into our days. Um, yeah. Things more around impulse control and regulation those are skills we can teach, right? Mm. Mindfulness, calming strategies, you know, building awareness of your emotions and how to regulate them. So you might, those are skills that may actually fully develop in adulthood and not need that same level of support, but there are other things we all use. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is, Yes, you will grow into more of your brain. And also, I think that we see people who don't know how to do some things and they live that way. Like they, they just, some, some stuff is lacking and they could use that. Right. So, um, so I think it's, yeah, you know, so at what point would you want to get some help for your child? Yeah. When it's interfering. And so I think this lends to you and I having this really great discussion. Is this, so this is what I'm going to bring in my soda can analogy. Yeah, soda can. Okay, can't wait. You guys are going to love this. So <laughs> I'm, I want... it, I'm using it everywhere. So just so you know. <laughs> I love it. So the soda can analogy says this. When a, when a child's in school, and I use school as the context, um, when they're met with stressors in their day, right? That soda can, I want you to think of each stressor as a shaking of the can. So um, I forgot my assignment. Oh, no. Shake, shake the Coke can. Right? Shake the soda can. Uh, I'm late for class. Ugh, shake it again. I called out and the teacher's mad at me. Shake it again. So the can just keeps being shaken and shaken. And then you pick your child up 
from school or they walk in the door and you're like, how was your day? (laughs) And that's like opening a soda can that has been shaken all day. And so something as simple as how was your day turns into this explosive response, um, sometimes coined as after school restraint collapse, where these kids are met with this degree of stress and stress and stress all day long. And they come home and they release it with their safe people, which is usually at home with caregivers and parents, because these are the people they trust. They have the strongest connection with. That's when you want to start to look at what's going on at school. Like what's happening for my kids day to become so challenging, um, curricularly, socially, emotionally, that they come home and implode. Right. And here's the thing. Many parents will look at that as disrespect and bad behavior. And that isn't, we have to look beyond that, right? Remember behavior is either a feeling that's unvalidated a need that isn't getting met, or there's a skill that they don't have better or that they don't have yet that is not fully developed. And it's all about, like you said, what's underneath the behavior. So when you counter that, instead of saying, go to your room right now, don't you dare talk to me like that anymore. Or no Xbox. Now that you just did that to me, you say, whoa, you really, really upset right now. Yeah. You know, do you need a hug? How can I support you? But actually, because Michelle is so amazing, she is giving us in the parental box. So everybody to get for, to, to get this amazing parent resource, please go to www.parent-toolbox.com. You can register. It's totally free and you will get her parent tips, how to navigate after school stress in your child. She talks about what the stress is to, um, you know, what to do, how to give your kids some downtime. Um, you know, maybe you can give us a little idea of exactly what it is to, uh, to let everybody know what you're giving them. Cause this is incredibly, incredibly helpful. You're so sweet. Thank you. Well, I think this is the idea, right? When, when being able to stay focused in your day, whether it's getting ready for school, being at school is causing problems. And those problems are leading to challenging behaviors in, in your home. Yeah. That is the reason to explore the root. And often there's some level of executive function difficulty being experienced. Some people will talk about it as lagging skills. So my thought is for families who are experiencing this like implosion and this implosion happens from parents who pick their kids up in a, in a preschool classroom yeah, or maybe being able to, you know, have that metacognition to see the big picture. They're struggling socially because they don't see the big picture. And so they keep failing socially with four-year-olds. I know that sounds crazy, but kids feel this stuff. They feel these emotions. So they come home angry and frustrated. So I sort of have four areas I like to focus on. One is avoid the questions. When children are stressed, it feels like rapid fire, like an interrogation. When parents are like, how, are you, how was your day? Tell me about your day. What's going on? Why are you so upset? They're like, ah. Yeah, yeah. So just being there for a child, as you say so beautifully, right? Like holding space, being mm-hmm. present, sh- um, showing up, right? Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing, just being there with and without it, it feeling like an interrogation when you're stressed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, downtime. I think whether you are in a daycare, you are in an elementary or a high school, we all need downtime. Harder for parents. We, we leave one stressful situation. We don't get to say, 
uh, to our children. I just need 30 minutes to chill. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they don't have the language to say that either. Nope. Right? So we just give it. We give downtime. We are in a, if, if the pandemic has given us one gift, it's time. Mm-hmm. It is, it has given us this reminder to slow down mm-hmm. and children who are having stressful experiences in their day need to have downtime, time to relax, to learn how to relax, to have a snack, to just, Mm. and then we want to build in the acknowledgement. So, and you've, you explained that so beautifully. That's why I love how we work together, right? This isn't one person having all the information. This is about us working as a team because Mm. these kids are so individualized in how they're experiencing their difficulties. We, we, every child needs to just feel acknowledged and heard Yes. without needing to ask why that's so important for me because a lot of the time kids can't tell us why. Well, adults, we don't know why sometimes too, why we're feeling the way we're feeling. Why do we expect kids to know why, why? And then in that is keeping calm. If mm. children are stressed and, and responding in more explosive ways, it's so incredibly important that as the adults in the space, we keep calm and model, even if they're not regulating, we're always modeling regulation. Mm-hmm. We're always just like taking those breaths, not saying, take your breath, use your words, <laughs> but, but we're just modeling it. And we're, we're just, we're, we're here We're going to keep calm when you're calm and we're not going to talk about this escalation while a a child is escalated or immediately after an escalation. We might chat about it later. later. Exactly. Okay. So there's like, this is so good. I love it so much. And you say like, I, I swear this is going to be my tagline is don't take it personally. Don't take their behavior personally. It's not about you. It's not about you. They are feeling all of these big feelings over here and then they express them and we just take them the wrong way. And then we punish and we put them down and we do all the things that doesn't help. It's not personal. If you can just remember that your child's behavior is never personal, I think that would you know, release a lot of pain and suffering in parenting, you know, a lot of that. So I love that you say this. I love the acknowledgement of their feelings. We do need to be seen and heard. That is a core human need for us all. It's so important. So I just love that. I love it so much. And I think this is really going to help parents as they, as they um, pick their kids up from school. You know, I always say if you can let your kids run around for a little while and play at the playground for a bit, blow off some steam, you know, different things like that. Or if you know your child struggles, you know, how can you anticipate that struggle? What can you do ahead of time? So they're going to be so, so that they have sort of their cup filled so they don't have to feel so explosive. Like here's a snack. I knew you would love this. This is a delicious snack for you. Or if you need to get, you know, if you need to get some, um, some feelings out, I'm a safe place for you to do that. You come here, yeah. I'll, stay, I'll stay with you while you are upset. Whoa. Without, without it, without the interrogation. Without it's hard. It, it's exactly. Hard. Yeah. Like, oh, how come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can totally We want to fix it. it. We're parents. We always want to fix. But we, yeah. So, yeah. It's so true. Well, I love this. Thank you so much 
for this piece. Um, I, you know, this, this definitely speaks to my heart and to, uh, and to the work I do too. It's exactly what I talk to parents about too. So I love it. Thank you so much for that. And so, um, this has been so incredible. Uh, I love, I, I love that this whole area is so fascinating to me. And one of the things that you said, uh, and I, I just want to bring this up really quickly because yeah. I think this is a really beautiful demonstration of what, um, self, self-monitoring is or this big metacognition yeah. piece is right mm-hmm. because our kids can't see they don't know what they don't know right like think about it they don't know what they don't know they're still so new and you said you said to us when we first started with you you know think about it this way if I say to you beef wellington oh, yeah. now go make it yeah. you first have to be like well what the heck is beef wellington like what is it even what does it look like what should i even expect it to look like if you don't even know what beef wellington is or what it looks like right and of course it's that beef baked in phyllo pastry and it's uh, right all that stuff um if you, then then how do you even go about making it without even knowing what the end result is supposed to be right i thought that was a really profound say it it was a really great way of demonstrating of illustrating like what that must be like yeah right and I think that this is the idea of seeing things can be really hard when you're struggling and and so often for the children I work with there is a sense of neurodiversity so there is ADHD or ADD or um, involved or oppositional defiance disorder or um just global general learning uh, challenges, but also many children without a neurodiversity formal diagnosis mm-hmm. experience these challenges of big picture, right? Of, of seeing the end. And so anytime we can give children the end, it can be really helpful for them to see what they need to do clean their room, show them a picture of what a clean room looks like. Mm -hmm. Asking them to set the table, showing them a picture of what a a table set looks like. It can help. It's the Beef Wellington. We can all make it. I've never actually made it. Yeah, I mean, I I confidently believe if I had step-by-step visual instructions, I could. I don't buy cookbooks that don't have pictures. I don't know about you, but right. So some of us just have learned how to use visuals Mm -hmm. to help us. So I think when you think executive function, Mm -hmm. visuals are really a fundamental strategy in the variations we use them. It's a fundamentally powerful um, and very useful strategy for teaching in different ways. I could like spend hours talking about that. Yeah, I know. I don't really want to let you go. I want to ask you the last question, if that's okay. And this, I hope this doesn't take us down another rabbit hole because I was just thinking about this as you were talking. Sure. What's the difference between having, um, being neurodiverse, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, and having ODD, having ADHD, having ADD, what is the difference or is there a difference? It, it, right now, and I think the language is, is fluid, there, we're evolving as we're learning, this is the key, neurodiversity is intended to sort of be an umbrella term to give people who learn differently the acknowledgement that we're not here to fix you. We're not here to change you, but that you are neurologically 
diverse. You learn maybe differently. And so the more the general population can understand that there are neurodiverse learners, there are children who don't learn in this like really linear one way approach, the better we can then provide um, a multitude of ways for teaching and learning that involve asking the neurodiverse population to share with us how you learn best, not just assuming there's a one size fits all. So that's how I look at neurodiversity. I think that's how the, how many of us are trying to really recognize neurodiversity as just that. If you have autism or ODD or ADHD, nobody's here to fix you. Your brain operates differently. Yeah. That's not bad. Right. But people need to understand, you should understand and learn how your brain works. Right. So you, as you become an adult, can advocate for what you're going to need and set yourself up. And as a child, so that people can understand, you won't always fit the mold. And that's okay. Right. We need to break the mold and create individualized mm-hmm. molds for children to learn the way they learn best. Yeah, I I think the more and more I learn about the brain and the more and more I learn about how kids grow and learn is we need to look at every child like they have a brain that is as unique as their fingerprint. Yeah. We really do because we are all different, learning differently. And the biggest shame is that when we have a child who is neurodiverse, that we criticize them and we put them down and make them feel less than. That's not fair. And we just need to be really aware of that, right? Teachers, parents, and we have the most amazing teachers. I just, you know, our teachers are heroes, really, truly. And they work with so many different kinds of kids. I don't know how they do it. Uh, And so I say that because I don't want it to be, you know, I I never would ever put a teacher down. They deal with so much. No, they are, they are really heroes. And unfortunately, you know, when you're, when you're working with a lot of kids, some kids do fall through the cracks and, um, you know, it's, it's just tough. It's tough. And all this does is just tell me how, how relevant it is for every parent to have support in one way or another, because parenting is so hard. And this, like, you know, when I hear you talk too, even I feel a little overwhelmed because I think like, wow, there are so many different things going on with each child. How can we ever know? Right. And it just speaks to the fact that parenting is so hard. And, and when you look at what all of the things that we learn and we need to know, you know, we spend years studying for our careers, which is an important job, but the most important job we have is to be a parent. Right. And we do no studying. We don't know this stuff, which you know, is so vitally important, right? But thankfully we have podcasts like Parenting Our Future. We have people like Michelle uh, Schilbach who helps us and amazing resources like this uh, after school resource. So um, I just want to thank you for being here, for sharing. Is there any last words you would share with the parents uh, who are listening right now? Um, I will. And before I do, I want to just pony off of what you said about educators, because I think their job is the hardest. When we talk about neurodiversity, and here I am advocating for the individualized, you know, supports for all these individualized styles of learning. One person can't do that effectively in a class of 25 to 30 students. That's virtually impossible. So I see day after day how hard teachers and educators in general, whether you're the principal or you're an educational assistant or a learning support teacher, 
they're all working so hard to try and understand. So this then leads into what's my last takeaway, whether you're a parent or an educator, ask, Mm. ask your child what they value. Mm. Ask your child about what they think is hard or easy Mm. instead of just assuming, you Mm. know, and then putting in the strategies based on an assumption. Mm. That's my biggest takeaway. I love that. So instead, like, instead of saying you're so lazy, you're uh, so forgetful, you're unreliable when I send you upstairs to do something and you don't come back down, or I ask you to get your shoes, your jacket, your book and your backpack. And you look at me and you've just got your shoes on instead of saying you're lazy. We are all those things. And I don't even want to say them. How come you didn't get the rest of it done? you went upstairs and didn't come back downstairs right I know you're talking about educators but the parent piece too this is everybody why let's be curious right let's ask how come how come or just what's going on so why might be a hard question for kids to answer um my own child went through an interesting experience yesterday and couldn't answer a why question and needed time to process Mm. and needed leading, not leading, but guided, um, probing questions to get mm-hmm. to that place. So it's like, tell me about what happens. I like, tell me, cause tell me is like an invitation. There's no wrong. Sometimes if we go too direct, kids might not know what the answer is and then they shut down again. So yeah. tell me about what happens for you when you go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Well, I go upstairs. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So I ask you to get four things. Well, yeah, I get my shoes but then my computer's open. So I go and sit down because I want to like finish my game. And you're like, oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> That's the black hole you fell into. <laughs> right. So by, by maybe going a little bit more leading and, and opening up with there's no wrong answer lends yeah. to children giving us more information, especially as parents. There, mm-hmm. When we um, are asking too many WH questions, like, why do you think you did that? What happened up there? Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't know what did happen up there. <laughs> I, I don't know. And then, right, It's like when you know your kid didn't make their bed and you go downstairs and you're like, did you make your bed? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, sure I did. Yeah. yeah. Instead, yeah. just like take your kid upstairs, show them the unmade bed and say, tell me about what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, my bed's unmade. Yeah. Right? That's not like my late kid's lazy and then my kid's lying. It's like, yes. what's going on, right? So take the kid back to the situation. Tell me about what happens for you here. Mm. Let them know that it's not bad. They might not even understand why they're having a hard time. So we want them to feel acknowledged, to feel heard. It's the same mm. thing without big emotions attached to it. So yeah. does that make sense? It totally yeah. makes, well, it makes sense to me. I love that. I really do. And no more WH questions. All right. I love that too. That is like epic. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm still going to probably ask some whys and some whatever. I do too. I do yeah. too. You know, yeah. hard, you know, habits are hard to break, but I love that. That's really, that's really great. And of course, that's what you're working with my family on and helping my son to really master as much as he can of his world and, uh, and knowing that he still has many, many years of brain growth ahead of him. So that gives me hope too. Very much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. You are incredibly knowledgeable and such a wonderful person to have in our community and in our in 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 our village uh, oh, to you. to help us raise our child too. So 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with my audience. It means the world to me. You are so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Robin. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.